1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognising the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give further instructions. Okay, let us come before our Lord in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we share together now. Thank you you that we can uh, read about how you want your church to be. And we pray that you'd help us to uh, respond in the right way to this message. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, talking about food sometimes can even make me hungry, even as I uh, think about the topic, but we'll have to save our appetites as I talk about food for a moment uh, till we can have some morning tea together. But here goes. Uh, Can you recall times when you might have been to a luncheon uh, and you've been sort of late uh, or at the end of the line to get your food from the servery? Have you had situations like that where there's a whole lot of people sort of getting in ahead of you? Well, in my family, there's a, a little bit of a sad story about somebody who had a, a graduation uh, and they graduated from their course and there was a luncheon and a meal that went with it and some family members travelled a long way to be there for it from Grafton all the way down to Adelaide. Well, some of the older members, it, it sort of didn't get off the blocks too well when they were all there for this particular meeting. There was a, a band that played a young person's band, and some of the older relatives didn't sort of enjoy it that much. And it was loud music. The band was called Gumbo Yaya. 
And as one of the older members put it, oh, and that jolly gumbo, yeah, yeah, they were terrible. So that was already sort of a bit wobbly. But to make matters worse, uh, sadly, the family ended up on the end of the queue to get their meal. But there was plenty of people in the queue. And so the story has gone down in folklore a little bit in our family now that when they arrived, having travelled a long way, there was enough food to go around, but the people in the, the line ahead were, were a bit keen. And as they put it, uh, they'd already hogged in first and, and took the lion's share. And so when I asked one of the older relatives, and how did your meal go? He said, well, Peter, I'll tell you, we got scraps, jolly scraps, and it was disgraceful. So he was uh, a bit unhappy about the state of play. The sad thing, though, was that their kind of reaction to all this, this problem, uh, you know, put the poor younger person who graduated in tears and uh, she was embarrassed that the family didn't get enough to eat, that they got scraps, and that story's now gone down as the... The gumbo, ya-ya and scrap story in our family. So it was a bit of a tough time. Now, I'm sure you, it might not have been that serious for you, uh, the, you know, the, the level of depth of sorrow that was in that one. Maybe you haven't had it quite as that bad as that. But you might have had similar situations you can recall where you've sort of been towards the end of the line and there hasn't been as much to share around. Well, that's kind of the sort of thing that was going on in the church in Corinth, but the differences there made it much worse. Because that kind of thing wasn't just happening at uh, somebody's graduation where people didn't really know each other particularly. Uh, that was happening in God's church where people ought to have been cared for. And that kind of thing was also a threat to their unity. The church was experiencing divisions already and those divisions were getting deeper and wider through that practice. We're already familiar, aren't we, with some of the divisions that got highlighted early in the, the book of Corinthians. Paul, in chapter 1, talks about how people were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Kephas. And he notes that that's not a very spiritually mature way to be the church of God. In 3 verse 3, he says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Well, this letter has been written so that they will behave in a better way, not just a merely human way, that they behave in a godly way. And Paul wanted them to grow as God's people, that's why he wrote, and this letter is also for us, so that we as a church can hopefully take heed to it and grow as God's people together. Now, since chapter 7, uh, Paul's been dealing with matters about which they wrote, and some of those matters concerned food and drink, uh, food sacrificed to idols and whether they should eat it or not. And in chapter 10, verse 31, Paul concludes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I know that one because it was a memory verse for our kids when they were growing up. It's a good memory verse to remember. Uh, but the next point is interesting. He says, give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. But sadly, some at the church hadn't maintained the tradition that Paul handed down, uh, the, the Lord's Supper, and they were in their eating and drinking, they weren't giving glory to God, were they? And furthermore, Paul says that they were being offensive to the church of God in this matter, and so Paul is putting them on notice. Their management of eating and drinking became a problem 
because all the members of the church were important, but not all members were being treated as though they were important. And that's the sort of thing we begin to see in verses 17 through to 19. If you're reading on with me, you can kindly turn to that section now. I'll read out from verse 17 to 19. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Paul does not give them a pat on the back for how they conduct their meetings. There may have been smaller groups that comprised this church, that made up this church, that met perhaps in people's places. But at this time he, he emphasises in a number of places that they've all come together as a church. But his assessment of their coming together as a church is that their meetings do more harm than good. It's a bad indictment. And it seems that at these times their divisions within the church have become clearer as well as some people are getting humiliated. All members are important to the Lord, but not all members were being treated as important people. And Paul illustrates how the meetings were doing more harm than good uh, when he talks about how they managed the Lord's Supper. Verse 20, I'll pick it up there. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Well, what exactly was going on there and what is the big problem that Paul was trying to tackle? Some scholars have drawn attention to architecture, actually, and some, the way that some of the houses were held uh, in that Greco-Roman world and how you could have an indoor room which people could get into and eat together and atriums on the outside where other people could spill over to and eat there. And some have thought that, you know, some of the poor people have been shuffled off outside while the wealthy people are inside eating together. Other scholars have pointed out that that's a, that's a possibility, but the emphasis in the passage doesn't seem to focus on that. Uh, a number of times we see that there's a problem with people going ahead uh, and eating before the others seem to have an opportunity to do that. And so what it looks like is that some people are there long enough to get drunk, which I think seems to take a while, uh, and other people uh, are coming later, probably a poorer person, possibly after work, and the meal seems to be even finished before they get there. It looks like that they're having a communal meal together and that the Lord's Supper was also part of that time. And yet because of the inconsiderate way that some of the members are being treated in the church, Paul can't bring them himself to say that this is even the Lord's Supper because their bad practice fails to live up to the tradition that, that he handed down to them. And Paul continues his critique of what, he's, what they're doing. In verse 22 he says, Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. All members were important to the Lord, but not all members were being treated as important people in this, in this time together. But what is the problem 
behind the problem. Sometimes uh, problems can be like that. There's something on the surface, but there's a deeper problem underneath. There's a problem of people eating before the next person, but what's, what's lying behind that? Well, I asked the junior youth group this question. What's the problem with people eating a, ahead of the next person? And they said that it was disrespectful to the other people, and so it was disrespectful to God. It's a pretty good answer, isn't it? The deeper problem was that some of the wealthier members didn't care about the other members. They were disrespectful to God's people, and so they showed disrespect to God. They weren't interested in looking out for the interests of others. They were simply interested in looking out for themselves and being selfish. It kind of reminds you, doesn't it, of little kids' parties where you go and get ready to pour out the cordial for the kids and you know you've got different sized cups and things and you pour out the cordial and some kids jostle forward and muscle in and try to get the bigger cordial and nudge the other little kids out the way or when there's a cake to be had and there's you know somebody hasn't done a very good job of cutting the cake like sometimes those pizzas you get from Domino's how they're cut badly anyway the um, the idea is that some of these kids go in they they go to get the bigger piece of cake and they, they race in ahead of it and the host has to say, come on, snatches, don't get anything. And uh, this is the sort of maturity level you get to feel that that church was a bit like. They're like little kids looking after number one, first in, but immature because they're disinterested in caring about the welfare of the next person. And so the deeper problem of getting in ahead really boils down to the other problem of selfishness and a failure to value every one of the members of the church. And so we mustn't be like that. Uh, God wants us to care for each member and even as we participate in the Lord's Supper, there's an orderliness to it that we, we try to achieve where we do eat together and show that we are unified together, we have a solidarity in Christ and that's a special time. But there are plenty of ways that we can show uh, care to the members of the church. Food's only one example. Well, Paul now moves on to teach them again about the Lord's Supper. It seems that he needs to re-educate them almost. Um, in your footnote there, in point two, the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal. That was what was in my notes, Scott. Uh, next time you do the sermon outline. No. Not a covenant mean. <laughs> At least you didn't have meme. Okay, let's pick this up from verse 23 to 26. In the next few verses, Paul sees it's important to remind them of what he did pass on to them. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, the Lord's Supper is a very special meal, and it signifies that our relationship with God comes through the blood and the body of Jesus. It's a meal that builds on the salvation event in the past, uh, the Passover, which reminds us of God's rescue of his people in slavery in Egypt and how they were delivered to salvation to be in the promised land as his people. But the Lord's Supper doesn't signify uh, 
the blood of an animal except the blood of Jesus. He is our Passover lamb. Uh, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His body and his blood are given and shed for us to bear our sin that we might enjoy God's forgiveness and a, and a new relationship with God. That's what we're, we're remembering in this meal. We're members of the new covenant through the blood of Jesus, not members of the old covenant that came through the sacrifice of animals. And a covenant is a, a special relationship in the Bible. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. Uh, it's a bond. There's a, there are terms. There are obligations. It's established in the Bible by uh, God who sets the terms of the relationship. Uh, in the past, there were covenants made with Adam, Noah, Abraham, uh, Moses, David, and there's the promise of the new covenant. But in a covenant, you can see this one particularly in the covenant of Abraham, uh, it's described as cutting a covenant where some beasts are cut. Uh, and the concept is really saying that uh, if I don't fulfill my part of the covenant, may what's happened to these beasts happen to me if I don't carry out my end of the agreement. It's described as a self-maledictory oath. That's a little bit technical, but that's kind of the idea behind it. Uh, people are committing to one another. Now, for us, members, membership in the new covenant comes through Jesus and his blood. That's what he says in verse 5. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, in the past, when a covenant was uh, concluded, sometimes it was accompanied by a sign, uh, circumcision in the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, but the sign at the conclusion of the, the Mosaic Covenant was actually a meal. Did you know that? If you're a bit of a Bible flipper and you'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 24 now, I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 24 verse 6. And this looks at the covenant that God made with Moses and the people of Israel. And we see an example of a meal which concludes that covenant. I'm going to read that section now from Exodus chapter 24 verse 6. I'll start actually verse 5. Uh, this is Moses. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people and they responded we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire as bright as blue as the sky but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites they saw God and they ate and drank that's a special part of the Bible isn't it seeing God cast like a in the image of a big king with sapphire like sky below his feet and 
at the end of this uh, agreement where they've, they've been willing to be the people of God and have God as their God, uh, we see that they have a meal. Why do they have a meal? Is it because the writer just wants to pad out this story? No, it's not. Is it because they couldn't, hadn't invented ping pong at this time? No, a meal is a special time. It's a celebration. This is a special moment where the covenant's just been established between God and Israel and it's a good moment and they're celebrating it with a meal. We're familiar with this idea too, aren't we? When, men a, when a man and a woman make vows to each other to promise to love each other, forsaking all others, and sign a document, they conclude the marriage cer ceremony oftentimes with a meal and people are invited in to celebrate that special covenant between two people, people who were once not family are now treating each other as family and that special time is celebrated with a meal. Well, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're also participating in a covenant meal. It's the new covenant meal. And it's a reminder of the relationship that we have with God that we're celebrating as we remember what Jesus has done for us. But more than that too, as we celebrate in that time, we look back at what Jesus has done. We also look forward to the fact that Jesus is coming again. And so Paul says in verse 26, um, as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we um, participate in the Lord's Supper together, there's a proclamation not only uh, of what he's done, but also that he's going to be coming again. Well, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's a special time and it shouldn't be something that we do uh, just out of ritual. Sometimes people can pray at the mealtime uh, just out of habit without really having a heartfelt prayer. And it is possible to participate in things like the Lord's Supper just out of ritual as well. But Paul wants the first readers to remember um, that they have this meal re reminds us of what Jesus has done to give us a restored relationship with God and we should be celebrating that relationship. And so as we um, celebrate the Lord's Supper as well, we should be remembering the relationship we, we have with God and remember that's a celebration of it as well. But it's also a celebration of the relationship that we have with each other, that we are together members of the new covenant. And so that's also something that reminds us of, that we're bound together uh, as the new people of God, as the church of God, through the work of Jesus. Now, Paul wants the church to participate in that special time in the right way. I'll pick this up in verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. In this section, Paul's warning the Corinthians that their current practice uh, is, is poor and they've got a responsibility to carry out the Lord's Supper in the right way. In verse 28, Paul notes that they should be examining themselves before they take the, the bread and the wine. Uh, because those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ 
eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That's what it says in verse 29. And so it's serious stuff. There's a warning here. But what does it mean by discerning or recognising the body of Christ? Traditionally, this has meant that we, we think about what Jesus has done. We're not flippant about it. We think about areas of our lives that we need to repent from um, as we come to that time of the Lord's Supper. And that's the, that's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do, to think about Jesus and what he's done as we participate. And yet we also know that the body of Christ is a reference to the church. When we discern the body of Christ, there's two meanings here both what Jesus and what he's done for us, but it's also about discerning the church or recognising the church, the other people. And we know this from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 27, where Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So when we're recognising the body, that means we've also got to take into account each other. So reference to the body of Christ is also a way of, referring to the people of Jesus, the church. And so those at Corinth were to reflect not only on the physical body of Jesus our Lord, but also on the members. Now, they were treating each other badly, uh, sometimes starting ahead of others and sometimes leaving some without anything to eat. And in the process, some people were being humiliated. And so discerning the body of Christ would have been involved in making sure they were eating together. Now, God's people shouldn't be uh, treated that way here in Port Macquarie, in, in the same way they were treated in Corinth. Uh, the responsibility we have is to treat each other as uh, important members and to show respect in, in the way that we not only conduct the Lord's Supper, but also in other times when we share a meal together as well. At that church in Corinth, there were consequences for their mismanagement of this mealtime and the Lord's Supper. We pick those consequences up in verse 29. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more, discer more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord... We are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. If anyone is, is hungry, who is hungry, should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. In those words... Paul points out that they've experienced something of God's judgment. Uh, some people are sick, some people are dying and their disunity is on display uh, as they treat members badly in the Lord's Supper. Uh, the type of judgment that Paul's talking about, this sickness and dying, Paul refers to as a type of discipline. Uh, it's not the end time judgment and Paul's saying that they need to uh, give consideration to how they're treating each other so they don't come under that kind of, of discipline. Uh, they were going the wrong way and it, it led to some bad consequences for the congregation. And there's a warning for us also that we need to uh, care for people in the right way or run the risk of God's discipline as well. Paul draws this link between sin 
and sickness. And it's not the only reference in the Bible where there is that link drawn. If you look at James chapter 5, there's a link that's between sin and sickness. And it's not to say that whatever, you know, if we've got sickness or people dying in the church, it's because there is sin. But it is a way of saying if there is sickness or trouble, it's worth at least asking the question, is there sin in our church that we need to repent of? The point here is that people uh, matter to God and it matters to God how we live as his church, uh, not only in the Lord's Supper but also in other meal times as well. So what can we learn as a church from this, this message today? Well, certainly uh, we need to be mindful of being, having an orderly time in the Lord's Supper together, that we, we do eat together. That's, that's in, something that remains important to do. But also when we have church luncheons, we can consider other people, some who may not have much, we can think about if we've got the means to help provide for them. Uh, Sometimes visitors don't always uh, get the weekly announcement ahead of time that there's going to be a lunch and so they they turn up, but we should be thinking about how to take them into account. And it's been good to see that Scott has encouraged people, even today in the bulletin, to bring extra food to care for those as well. Well, what kind of church does God want us to be? At the beginning of this sermon, I told the story of an older relative who had a great deal of disgust in his voice because he went to a graduation meal and only got fed scraps, jolly scraps, as he put it. Uh, Well, may our church be a more mature congregation than what they had there, and may we be a church that seeks to bring glory to God, uh, even in our eating and drinking. May God help us to be people who aren't just interested in being first in, but to consider uh, every member as being important and and how we can care for everybody so that people aren't missing out. Uh, Let's remember that all people in God's church are important to him and so we should care for them too. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, we do give you thanks for Jesus and we thank you for the Lord's Supper, that it's a special meal that we... Uh, can remember what he's done for us in the past uh, to deal with our sin and bring us forgiveness with you and lord we give you thanks that as we participate in that meal we celebrate the relationship that we have with you that we are members of the new covenant that we are your church the new people of god that we've been brought into your family and we enjoy uh, life with you as our god and that we're your people lord we thank you for that meal and and the reminder of what we have in christ And Lord, as we think about other meals that we'll share with one another, please help us to be mindful of how uh, we can care for each other uh, and remember that how we treat uh, each member can be a reflection of how we treat you. Lord, we thank you for this passage today which reminds us uh, to take seriously our responsibility to be a loving church and we pray for your help to to approach this uh, good goal. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.